from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. our Old Testament lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. Hear now this first word to us this morning from God. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense, and he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and that shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, 
nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second text is from the book of James, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this ancient word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, when I was in college, uh, one of my friends gave me a green and white plastic rosary. Uh, you wouldn't think uh, something he purchased in India for less than a dollar would become for me something so meaningful or something so important. You see, the summer prior to our senior year, my friend had the unique and wonderful opportunity Uh, to work with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India, and the Sisters of Charity. And on his final day uh, in Calcutta, he had developed a relationship with Mother Teresa. He uh, was asked by her to meet her in her private quarters because she wanted to pray for him. And she wanted to send him with a blessing on his way as he returned to the United States. And so he met her in her private quarters, and he prayed for, and she prayed for him, And then she blessed a green and white plastic rosary. When he gave it to me and he told me the story, I started to cry. You see, at that time, I'd only been a Presbyterian for about two years. I had grown up Roman Catholic, went to Mass every Sunday. I was familiar with the rosary. And so to receive such a gift, to receive this unbelievable holy relic, well, it just brought tears to my eyes. As far as I was concerned, this green and plastic, less than one dollar rosary was sacred. It became for me a, a symbol of, of God's presence. It became for me a symbol of God's sovereignty in my life. So I, I took it and I did a very Italian, Philly, Catholic thing. <laughs> I hung it from my rearview mirror. <laughs> And there it stayed for a few months. At that time, I was a youth intern at the Wayne Presbyterian Church, a church, a wonderful church right near uh, my college. I was a discipleship group leader for a small group of high school boys that I first met in the eighth grade. These were boys now who were in their junior year of high school. One of them was Colin Comstock who is one of the founding members of the band Found Wandering. 
And Colin was in the back seat with one of the other guys named John and another one of their friends, Judd, was in the front seat. And, and being high school boys and, and liking to be physical with one another, Colin and John started to slap the back of the head of Judd as we were driving along. This made Judd very unhappy. And Judd wanted to retaliate, and so he turned to slap them back. And if memory serves me right, he miraculously, with one fell swoop, turned and put his hand through the very narrow gap where the rosary hung from my rearview mirror. And as Judd went to slap Colin, the strength of his slap broke the very thin line the rosary is on, and the beads went everywhere. And the boys went silent. Well, during the time of Isaiah, uh, the people of God were going through what is commonly uh, referred to as the Babylonian captivity or the Babylonian exile. In 722 BC, Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, was laid siege and conquered by the Assyrian army. Later, Assyria would, would fall to the great power uh, in Babylon, fall to the Babylonians. And, and, in, and in 587, the Babylonians uh, laid siege to the southern kingdom of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem. And so in 722 and 587 BC, respectively, the people of God would be broken and they would be dispersed. They would be displaced. Many would be sent into exile. They were removed from their land, which was for them a sign and a symbol of God's presence and God's sovereignty in exceedingly greater measure, far beyond my example. The land for the people of God was like that blessed green and white rosary. It meant something to them. It meant that God was God. It meant that God's promises were true. It meant that God would always be God. It was a, a powerful reminder of this land. That God had saved them. That God had rescued them. But in exile, that promise seemed to have entered into default. As you might imagine, this was an incredibly difficult time for God's people. I mean, how does one reconcile the events of their lives, what they see right in front of them? How do they reconcile this displacement, this dispersion with the promises that God had made? How, how do they reconcile reading the, the, the stories in their sacred texts of, of God's fidelity and faithfulness in the past, looking at their homeland from a distance? How do you reconcile that when God has said that God will be God but it looks like God's promises are void. It is within that context that the prophet Isaiah writes. And he writes of this homecoming. Jay read it for us. It, it's in this moment of exile, in this moment of dispersion, in this moment of displacement, in this moment where the beads have gone everywhere, that the prophet speaks a hope-filled word. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This vision actually becomes history. Real history. Tangible history. When the great king of Persia, Cyrus, conquered Babylon and allowed the people to return home. 
The year was 537 BC. But let's just do the math here for a second. 537 BC. For the southern kingdom, that means that their exile lasted for 50 years. 50 years. For the northern kingdom, for the northern kingdom, that means that their exile lasted for 200 years. 50 years. 200 years is a long time to wait for something. It's a long time to wait for anything. Especially when you're waiting on God in a moment of incongruence. In a moment of incongruence when, when you hear and read about the promises of God, of God's presence and God's sovereign power in a time of disbursement, in a time of exile, in a time when the beads are on the ground. One of the interesting parallels between the Old Testament writer Isaiah and the New Testament writer James is their intended audience. It's very interesting because James, and we didn't read this this morning, but when James pens his epistle, he, he does it with these words. He begins with these words. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in dispersion. In dispersion. Now, scholars have debated and have argued what this dispersion actually means. Talking about the 12 tribes of Israel means talking about both the northern and the southern kingdom. Talking about all of God's covenant people. But what does this dispersion mean? Most people agree that that James is writing to Jewish Christians who are living in Palestine at the time. Or maybe he's writing to Jewish Christians who are dispersed throughout the known world. Maybe that's what dispersion means. Or maybe he's talking about uh, Jewish Christians who feel dispersed from their native religious intuitions, their, their native religious theology. Do you follow me on that? That they're dispersed from, from the people that they were born into. Whatever the circumstances, and we don't know exactly what it means to be dispersed, but we can use it as a metaphor that these individuals who James is writing to feel dispersed spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. They feel broken. They feel like the beads have gone everywhere because the powers of Rome are marginalizing them and the powers of the Jewish system and the Jewish elite, the religious elite of that time, are marginalizing them. They feel dispersed. They are uh, akin to their forebears who were exiled in Babylon. They were dispersed spiritually, socially, and physically because of the powers of Judaism and the powers of Rome. It's within that context. I mean, think about this. It's within this context that James writes in the fifth chapter, be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. What I didn't read, I stopped short of it. Uh, James goes on and says, look, you got to be like Job. Anytime someone references Job, you know they need a little bit of endurance. He says, you got to be like Job and practice endurance because God is merciful and God will come. He calls them to patience. Wait for the coming of the Lord. Like it was for the people during the time of exile. It's the same message. It's the same word that comes. James even says in this text, think about the prophets and the word to which they called the people, the way they called the people rather, to have patience and to trust in God. But, but let's just be very clear, and this may be the overstatement of the day. Waiting patiently for God is hard. Can I get an amen? amen. Waiting patiently for God 
is hard. I imagine many of us know what that feels like to wait patiently for God to show up with presence and power. To wait patiently for God to show up so we know we're not alone so that we can have hope. To wait patiently for God who has said will mend our broken heart and will heal a broken world. To wait patiently for God to show up to give us spiritual power to find purpose and meaning in our lives Right, but, but it's still so very hard. It seems so easy on the screen and, and so easy before our eyes. Wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. But, but our words are not so much like those words. They're more like the words of the psalmist, aren't they? How long, oh Lord, do I have to wait? How long until this grief subsides? How, how long will I be out of work? How long will I be living on the streets? How long will the spiritual emptiness last? How long will it be until that relationship that is broken will finally be mended and healed? How long will sorrow and sadness be with me? When will they be like the prophet says? When will they be gone? When will they flee? How long, O Lord? Dr. Harry Fifield uh, was the senior pastor of this church from 1953 to 1976. This room in which we sit is named after him. It's called Fifield Hall. He was a great leader of this church, and a great leader in the city of Atlanta. He was also known as a wonderful preacher. WSB, many of you know this, WSB, the radio station here, carries our worship every week. It's a delayed, it's delayed a week. We are the longest standing religious radio broadcast in the country. And back in Dr. Fifield's day, when he was in that sanctuary, they would actually put a microphone in the pulpit and he would preach live. I mean, talk about a little pressure, right? He would preach live. He was known in Atlanta, uh, not just in this church, but in Atlanta as a wonderful preacher. One of his colleagues said that, that his preaching wasn't the kind where you'd get a sermon and it would go into some dusty textbook in a seminary. His preaching, and, and, I'll, and I'll quote, says that it came from struggles and triumphs of faith. And he was known in the congregation and the community, not just as a pulpiteer, but as a person and as a pastor. So beloved was Dr. Fifield's preaching in the church and throughout Atlanta that some of his sermons were compiled in, into a book. And one of our church members gave me that book uh, during the first week I was here. And it's called The Incarnation on Peachtree Street. He preached a sermon in December of 1970, 46 years ago, during Advent, just like our time. And he entitled it The Incarnation on Peachtree Street. In that sermon, this is what he said. Christ walks with us along Peachtree. God has gotten right down into our experience with us who live and love and cry and die along Peachtree Street. He's still changing lives. He's still forgiving sins there. He's still molding character. He's still answering prayers. His presence with you and me depends on the hospitality of our hearts. Dr. Fifield's preaching was marked by an unwavering conviction that God is God and that Jesus will come. That he came 2,000 years ago, but he can show up in our lives. Even folks who live on Peachtree Street. Even folks who practice faith and life along this corridor. But that theology, friends, and there are some I'm looking out in this room that remember those days, not just through a textbook or not through family stories, but remember those hard times. Remember his leadership, especially during the civil rights era, which was most of his pastorate, and the ways in which he led on that. That theology would be put to the test. 
Would God come in the midst of this discord and in this brokenness? It would also be put to the test in a very acute way in 1962. As I said, some of you are old enough to actually remember these events. Some of you have only heard about what took place on June 3rd of that year. 106 arts patrons from the city, including 12 members of this church, 12 members of this church, had gone to Europe through a trip sponsored by the Arts Association of of Atlanta to go see some of the, 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 the most wonderful pieces of art in the world, in Europe. And as they were wrapping up that trip, they were at the Orly Airfield in Paris, France. June 3rd, 1962, they were ready to come home. And as their plane accelerated down the runway to take off, it never got off the ground. It eclipsed the runway and crashed into a stone building, killing all 106 Atlantans on board. The only people that were saved were three flight attendants who were thrown from the plane as it broke off in the back. Twelve members of this congregation dead. June 3rd was a Sunday. And Dr. Fifield had already preached the early service when he heard about the plane crash. He immediately called in his youth pastor and immediately called the, the associate for administration and education. And he sent them out to those 12 homes Mostly to meet with children whose parents had just died hours earlier. He, he quickly rewrote his, his sermon because he knew he'd be live with that WSB microphone and that the city needed a word. They needed a, a word of, of hope. They needed a word of, of, of consolation. They needed a word from God. He gave a sermon the best he could in that moment. And then, and then that week... This wonderful, compassionate, brilliant preacher began to pen one of the sermons of his life for June the 10th, a week after the air crash. And in that sermon, this theology would be put to the test. Would Jesus, could Jesus come again? Even to people who are going through this catastrophe, this tragedy. Is the word of God true? Should we actually wait And be patient. And Dr. Fifield's resolve was strong. He did not waver from that theology. This is what he wrote June 10th, 1962. And preached in a sermon. At one time, outside of Jerusalem, all the violent forces of the day. The fury of the morbid mob. Authority of the Roman government. The perverted powers of the priests. And the brute force of the soldiers successfully converged upon one incident in one place to engineer a brutal crucifixion. It was the stark tragedy of the ages. They swore they had finished off this Galilean named Jesus and that they were the victors. We would have said so too. We would have cried, Amen, when our Lord cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But beneath and above the brute force of those men is another force, quiet and internal, still at work bringing life out of death. Now the government, the priests, the soldiers, and the mobs are buried in the dust of time, but Jesus lives on, still coming, still changing and saving people's lives. I'll close with this. This past week I was with uh, two men, two different men, and two visits I, I had with them. Both are in their 90s. Both have been part of this church for a very long time. Both have been been widowed. And you can get a lot of perspective on patience when you talk to folk like, folk like these, right? You, you know what I mean? 
When they, when they tell you about the trials and the tribulations, when they remember being in church the day Dr. Fifield preached that sermon on June 10th, that they remember how God has been faithful throughout the ages and how God continues to come and come again once more. You get a lot of perspective. You get a lot of insight about the fidelity and the faithfulness of God when you put yourself underneath these stories and hear the testimonies from these great people of faith. You see, they can tell us what the scriptures have told us. From, from Assyria to Babylon to that time of exile to, to first century Palestine to the Jewish Christians to the Gentile Christians who were oppressed to the Orly Airfield tragedy to those who live and die and work and cry on Peachtree Street today. The same message has been true. That Jesus will come again. So wait patiently, church. For this God is on the move. Let us pray. Lord, teach us what it means to be patient for your coming, we pray. Amen. Friends, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing our closing song. We're going to sing it through three times. Wait for the Lord. if you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to grab the hand of someone near to you as a sign and symbol that we need each other, a sign and a symbol that we belong to one another. Be reminded that following worship, we have our uh, Messiah class with Jens and Ryan. We also have a Stephen minister in our chapel who is ready to meet you for personal prayer if you uh, choose to, uh, to engage that ministry. They're, they're there waiting for folks to come uh, to lift up particular prayer requests. So take advantage of that if you feel led to do so. In a moment of quiet, uh, pray for the person whose hand you hold to your right and to your left. Lord, give us the endurance to wait for you. And you're coming once more on Peachtree Street and into our very lives and into this world. And may that coming bring peace. And may that peace, brothers and sisters, a peace which surpasses all understanding, may guard your hearts and your minds in him. May this peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen? Amen. And go or stay in peace. (laughs)